Happy Mother's Day to all our moms. You know, when God created mankind, the Bible says he created mankind in his image. But he didn't just create a man. He had to create a woman so that the image of God would be most fully seen in humanity, man and woman. There are different things about who God is that man displays, and there are different things about who God is that woman displays. And one of those things that woman displays is the role of mother. Not all moms have been a wonderful experience for everybody, but probably if we ask the majority, we have fond memories of our mothers. And there are many things we appreciate about our mothers. Not all women are mothers, but there are particular things about the aspect of mothering, even in nature, that display who God is. I remember reading the scriptures and seeing Jesus' heart for his people and the multitudes and his own Jewish people. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he laments about the judgment that's coming to his own people. And he says, how I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. There's an aspect about God there that mothers display, that nurture. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. As he describes his ministry of discipleship among the Thessalonians, he says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes or nurtures or tenderly cares for her children. That's something that mothers do more naturally than us men. And so we're thankful for our mothers. Because really, the way that they care and nurture for us displays the way our God cares and nurtures us. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes, tenderly cares for her children. So I'm thankful for my mother. And the way that she tenderly cared for all seven of us, which wasn't easy, especially since I was the oldest. And I put a lot of stress on her. But she tenderly cared for me. She still tenderly cares for me, just in a different way, in a different role. I'm 42. She's in her 60s. Life is different now. But she still displays the character of God and his tender care for, for me. And so to all our moms, happy Mother's Day. It's an odd one. We're not able to be together as we normally would. But understand that in our remoteness, it's another aspect and another way that God shows that he tenderly cares for us and he nurtures us along. Thank you, mothers. God bless you today.
Good morning, and again, happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers out there. We're number four of our series on the basics, the Apostles' Doctrine. We looked last time at Colossians chapter 2 and saw that God has a set of basic principles for us to be grounded in, to grow into the full measure of the stature and fullness of Christ. And, therefore, if there is such a thing as being grounded in the basics, then how does that happen? How do these principles become internalized in our own hearts? And the answer to that is in Romans chapter 12, which we'll look at this morning. Romans chapter 12, and those verses that probably most of us have heard many sermons and teachings from. Romans 12, verses 1 through 3 this morning. Let me read these verses for us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Scientists tell us that the human brain has rightfully, rightfully been called the greatest arrangement of matter in the universe, the greatest creation. There's no overstatement, and there's six primary reasons why the human mind and the human brain out of which it operates is so amazing. First of all, it's mind-boggling efficient for all the work that the human mind does, which, by the way, is much more than the 10% of the brain that the people say we use. That's actually a myth. We don't use only 10% of our brain. But for all the work that it does, it only needs to be fueled by the equivalent energy of a 20-watt light bulb. It's amazingly efficient. Scientists have also re recently calculated that the brain's main processing units, neurons, add up to at least 86 billion. The neurons help us control our bodies and think the thoughts that we think. The human brain has 528,000 miles of nerve fibers. And these nerve fibers trans transmit information to different neurons and muscles and glands in our body. 528,000 miles of nerve fibers. Scientists estimate that the human brain contains 2.5 petabytes of memory capacity. I'm not that familiar with what a petabyte is, but this is what it's equivalent to. It's equivalent to all the information in one human brain, equivalent to all the information stored at all U.S. academic research libraries. The brain, when you're sleeping, isn't, isn't itself snoozing. Scientists say, quote, once consciousness is lost, it gets to work on all manner of chores. It's clearing out toxic molecules. It's regulating hormone levels and also filing away experiences for later memory and recall. And finally, as we're all aware and we're cognizant right now, the brain produces this miracle that nobody can explain that we call consciousness, which to this very day puzzles scientists about how it exactly does this. You might have noticed 
the brain here in Romans chapter 12. But not just organic matter and material here. What the brain is, the mind. Look what Paul says. Again, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is the reasonable service. So there's the thing that we're supposed to do. And then he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I want to spend this time this morning talking about the transforming of your mind. Unleashing the spirit through the transforming of your mind. There are three sections of Paul's exhortations here to how Christians are to live in Romans 12. First, in these verses 1 and 2, Paul appeals to his readers on the basis of the mercies of God, which certainly harkens back to what he has already told us in Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 30 through 36. And really, everything that he's told us so far in this letter, Romans chapter 1 through 11. But let me read about the mercies of God in Romans chapter 11, 30 through 36. Hear what God says. This appeal that Paul is making toward us is as our only rational service. He says in 11:30, For ye in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid or recompensed to him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And it's here on that basis, then, that Paul, in these two verses of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, outlines the appropriate response to God's faithfulness in the gospel by encouraging these early Roman believers in these house churches to offer their whole lives as a sacrifice to God. It's amazing. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And renew your mind to fully understand the will of God. So transformation through the renewal of the mind. It's amazing. Now notice, first of all, Paul says, I beseech you. That's a word that's stronger than I'm I'm asking. And it's also a word that's weaker than I'm commanding you. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a plea. I plead to you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, brothers, believers, by the mercies of God, the fact that God has shown mercy on us in Christ in the, in the, in the truths of the gospel. And I'm pleading to you for this one thing, that you present your bodies, your hands, your feet, your lives, a living sacrifice. Certainly, they would have been very familiar with sacrifices, both as Jews and also as Gentiles in the Gentile pagan temples. 
But all those sacrifices had their throats slit. All those sacrifices had their blood poured out. But what Paul is saying is this. On the basis of Jesus' blood being poured out for us as a drink offering to God. We now have been ransomed. We have died with Christ. He is our sacrifice. We died with Christ. We laid aside that life. And now we are alive with Christ. We are living sacrifices who are not to crawl off the altar. In other words, we're to use our very being, our energy, our gifts, our abilities, everything that's within us for the glory of God. Why? Because look again in verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is why God made us. And this is why God has transformed us for this purpose, for this reason. To be changed. To never be the same. To never go back to where we were before Christ. He spilled his own precious blood for us to be transformed. And so he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your vessels, every part of your being a living sacrifice. What does he mean a living sacrifice? What was sacrifice? What was an act of worship to God? And when we present our bodies as a willing and yielded sacrifice uh, alive to God, what we are saying is, God, this is how I worship you. This is how I will worship you. A lot of times we have redescribed and redefined worship, sadly, to limiting it to our Sunday worship gatherings. And as important as those things are, that's a part of our worship. Really, the rest of the week is the extent of our worship. And that Sunday uh, gathering there is to fuel us and to and equip us and train us and renew our minds and what it looks like to worship the rest of the days of the week. What is worship? There are so many worship wars and fight, fightings over, you know, do you use a guitar or an organ, etc. But really, we have missed the point of what worship is. Worship is a surrender and obedience to God. The worship and love of Jesus always precedes, always goes before faithful obedience to Jesus. Obedience stems from worship. That is what worship is. It is obedience to our Savior, to our Lord. It's like in the beginning of the film, The Princess Bride. One of the classics of all time, love it or hate it. When Princess Buttercup would always ask Wesley to do something, all Wesley would say is what? As you wish. And soon Princess Buttercup realized that what Wesley was really saying was, I love you. His joyful obedience to her commands flowed out of his great love for her in an even greater way than the comedy of Princess Bride. It's, it's, it's how it is with Jesus. The more we love him, the more we want to obey him, the more we will say, as you wish, as your will is, by the mercies of God, I am giving my life, my body as a living sacrifice. Now, why is that important? Paul says, because then you're set apart for God's purposes. 
You're acceptable to God. He says this is your reasonable. That word reasonable is where we get the word logic from. And it means your rational service as you wish. Now, why does Paul put such an emphasis on this for everything that's going to come after chapter 12? Which, by the way, look at the rest of chapter 12. There's body life. There's using your gifts to serve others, to serve the body of Christ. There's relationships, genuine love, uh, forgiveness, hating what is evil, clinging to what is good, uh, brotherly love. Uh, verse 11, not slothful or laziness, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, serving, distributing. Look at verse 13, distributing to the necessities, the giving here of, of the saints, meeting needs, given to hospitality, opening our homes and our lives to others here, um, blessing those that persecute you, blessing and cursing not, uh, rejoicing with those that rejoice, weeping with those that weep. Romans 12, 16, being of the same mind, one toward another, not having our minds set on pride, high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own opinions, not giving to people evil for evil, but living peaceably as much as lies in you with all men, not looking for vengeance, but but heaping coals of fire uh, on, on our on our enemies by handing these things over to the Lord. Now, why would Paul say in Romans uh, 12, 3 and on, all these things that we're supposed to live that show a transformed life without saying 1 and 2? The answer to that is because we need verses 1 and 2 to unleash the Spirit's control in our life to follow out what it is to have a transformed life. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is irrational. It only makes sense out of how he has poured out his blood to us, why he has saved us, why he has left us on this earth and not taken us directly up with him. Your reasonable, rational service. And now he says this. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be molded to the values of the world. Don't be shaped by the things that the world says is important and is living for. But, here's what a living sacrifice must do. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What I'd like to do here is have you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Because Paul picks up on this concept here uh, and, and, and expounds it in a more uh, full way of what a transformed mind is like. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you hereafter, from now on, Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity, the futility, the emptiness of their mind. Not that they're not intelligent, but the purposes and things they're living for are empty. They're without eternal value. They're no good. When it all comes down at the end of their life, they have nothing but sand in their hands. It's empty. 
And this is how all of us were before Jesus, before Jesus saved us and he changed us. We were living for empty things. It mattered little. We had nothing to show for our lives, for our accomplishments. We were not fulfilling the purpose of glorifying God that he made us for. And so he says, don't walk in that. That's what you're saved from. And he describes this mind, he says, having the understanding darkened. You know, when the lights are poor in the room, you can't see clearly. You can't see the things you need to avoid. There's a blindness there. There's, there's something that's missing, right? Um, when, the, when the lights are dimmed and the power goes out, why do you need the light? Because you're bumping into things. You're only learning by groping uh, the walls and, 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 and what's around you. And Paul says that's what it's like to be without Christ. That's what it's like to live the old life. You've been poured and brought into light. You're made light to the world along with Jesus. Paul says, don't live like that. Having, your understand, having the understanding darkened. Being alienated and separated from the life of God. Friends, we must never forget where we came from. Our understanding was darkened, to say the least. We were separated from the life of God. Through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, hardened, have given themselves over to lasciviousness, which is a big, long, old-fashioned word that basically means Doing whatever makes you happy. Now, the problem is that is whatever you think a darkened, empty mind thinks makes them happy leads to destruction. To work all uncleanness with greediness. And so that's where you were before Christ, right? Um, that those are there, there are there are forces that were shaping and squeezing you into that mold. And no longer hereafter in the Particular translation here. Should believers continue in these practices that characterize their lives before Jesus, before they came to Christ? They're helpless before the deceit and scheming, in verse 14, of cunning and crafty men. That's our pre-conversion state. That's before Jesus here. Futility of your thinking. And emptiness of, of, of thought patterns here. Darkened in understanding. Dwelling in the realm of darkness or sin, separated from the life of God. Uh, the power of sin controlled our minds. That's pre-conversion. That's before Christ. Our hearts were hard. We refused to obey God. We shut our ears to the voice of God and listened only to the voice of sin and rebellion against God. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 1, uh, that the knowledge of, of God's been revealed to the natural man, but the thing about the natural man is he doesn't want to hear it. And he continues in this degrading, downward spiral, this process here of a hardened heart. He exchanges the truth of God for a lie. And this sin, this way we thought our minds before were under control by a cancer, a malignant force that uses our minds to enslave us to things that were so different from being made in the image of God. But look what he says in Ephesians 4, verse 20. 
Now, here is what has changed. Here is, is what was going this way and now is going this way. Here is conversion, change, what God saved us for. Look in verse 20 of Ephesians 4. But you have not so learned Christ. You have not so learned Christ in this way. That was the old way. But here was what Christ has done. You were headed this path and now Christ says you're coming this way. You're learning Christ in this way. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former manner of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed. There's our word again in Romans 12. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Well, there's so much in here because everything in verse 17 through 19 is the opposite here of the path in Christ. And when we came to Christ, as verse 20 says, we did not learn Christ in this way in verses 17 to 19. Our, our thoughts move toward Christ. He's changed our thinking. There's a change that took place when you were converted. You were, you were made alive. You were, you were declared righteous. The old self died. It's be replaced by the new man, the living man in Christ, made anew in the image of Christ now. And now the Spirit of God enables believers to control their minds through His power and through His Word by the renewing of God's truth in our minds. And so then he says, Put on and put off. Now, in the old days, when you got a pair of clothes, you wore those pair of clothes, and you, unless you were very wealthy and had many sets of clothes, you wore those pair of clothes till they, till they wore out. Uh, you couldn't go to TJ Maxx and get a new outfit. And to have a new set of clothes, a brand new set of clothes, is a really big deal, really important thing. And the idea here of putting off is taking off the old, ragged, whole ridden, filthy clothes and putting on the fresh robes of Christ's righteousness and walking in that by a transformed mind. Putting on new clothes. It was such an exciting moment in the, in the, in the day of, uh, of living in the Roman Empire in ancient days here. And Paul could have chosen no better picture here to explain what it is to be alive. And so we're to put our lives under the control, not of self, but under the control of the Spirit through the Word of God. The Word of God is, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, we're to be filled with the Spirit. We're not to be controlled by other substances, drunk with wine, etc. We're to be filled with the Spirit. And as Paul will say in, Ephesians, in Colossians, he'll say, let the Word of Christ, the Gospel and the Word of God dwell in you Richly fill every closet, fill every basement, fill every living room, fill every bedroom, fill every kitchen, fill every bathroom of our lives. The, the, the word of Christ is to fill us. It's to dwell in us richly. It's to 
umpire. It's to reign. It's to rule in our lives. This is what it means to have a renewed mind and not be conformed by the world, shaped by the world. Our thinking has changed. We don't live for the things we used to live for. We live for a higher purpose and calling. We live for when everything is gone and everything is done, what will last for eternity? That's what it means to be a living sacrifice, to be have a transformed mind. And so Paul will tell us here to get on this road. You have learned Christ in this way. You have not learned Christ in the old way. You've learned Christ in this way. Get on the road and get with it here. He says this, you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Put away lying Speak every man truth. Be angry. Sin not. Don't give place to the devil. Don't steal, but rather use the things that God gives you to to give to him that has needs. Let Let your communication be changed in verse 29. Not corrupt, but now what's good to the use of building up and edifying. To minister grace to the hearers. Things have changed. Let the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor and the evil speaking be putting away, be put away with from you and be kind one to another, a compassionate heart, tender heart of forgiveness. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice. This is what it means to have a transformed heart. And I want you to see what he says uh, in all the way back in Romans chapter 12 again. So go back to Romans chapter 12, verses one through three. By the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice. I showed you a little bit of what a living sacrifice would be. A mind that is dead to Christ and alive to righteousness. And there's that's, that's the applications of Scripture over and over. The commands of Christ that we're to obey. That's, that's, a, that's a living sacrifice. Um, but, but now look what he says. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, what does that mean? What does the good and acceptable and perfect will of God mean? Well, a renewed mind resulting in a transformed life means that you are showing the world that God and yourself, as you're learning, you're showing and proving to yourself and to the world that God's will is good. Remember everything in Genesis chapter 1 that God created according to his will. And he says, and it was good. Because he was creating it for his purpose. And when we return and we're restored by the renewing of our mind in scripture of what God tells us his will is. Understanding what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians 5. It is good. We are restored for the very purpose of why humans are. We're made to glorify God. God's will is proved to be good and acceptable and perfect. You'll notice in verse 1 that you have kind of an exchange here in verse 1 and 2. Verse 1, believers give themselves to God. There's a yieldness here in, in, uh, in, a, in a, uh, um, a living sacrifice, right? And then in verse 2, he returns that gift to them. And whenever, there's a lesson to learn here. Whenever we give ourselves to God, he returns something to us that's far greater than what we lost. 
And what he returns to us in verse 2 is his will as it becomes operated in our lives is that we show and we realize and we are uh, 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 immersed into this understanding that God's will is good. It is perfect. It is acceptable. It's an amazing thing. It's life-changing. It's life-changing. And what happens as we prove what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is, is this in verse 3. We begin to be about this big. And serving others and taking up the basin and the towel as Jesus did in John 13 and serving our Lord becomes much bigger. Look what verse 3 says. For I say through the grace given to me. So God saved us by his mercy. But not only, not only that, he poured out the riches of his grace. He enables and strengthens us and, and, and shows an everlasting kindness to us, empowers us. Paul says to everyone who's among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now, how can you do that if you're a living sacrifice and your mind's being transformed by Scripture? But to think soberly, to think seriously, to think in eternal terms, to think in the, the, the restrictions uh, um, and, 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 and uh, expansions here of, of God's will, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So what happens in a transformed life? What happens in a life that has that has given itself to the Lord, that has said, Lord, I I I am I have a, a, a tunnel vision, a focus here on what your will is. And I'm going to set myself aside on what I think my desires are, and I'm going to put myself on the altar. I'm going to be the living sacrifice. I'm not going to crawl off. I'm going to be uh, motivated and informed by your word. I'm going to serve others. And here's what has to happen. I have to think of myself less highly than I am thinking about myself right now. Here's the truth of the matter. We all got that little bit of us that's been crucified to the cross, that's been declared dead with Christ, that keeps wanting to get off the cross, right? That's the part that gets sacrificed. We all have that part of us that rears its head back when it's attacked. That responds in bitterness. That has reflexes that are not the reflexes of Jesus Christ. And the truth of it is, is that when we have laid ourselves on the altar of Jesus and said, use my bodily members as you have made them to be used. Use them for your will. Use them for your glory. Use all of me for all of Christ. The scripture says that happens when there is a shrinking here, a decreasing, and Jesus increasing. That happens so I'm able to serve others here in selflessness when I don't think of myself more highly than I ought to think. Now, how should I think of myself? Well, I need to think of myself as a blood-purchased child of God. Not because there was anything awesome in me, but rather the opposite. Because God in his grace and mercy has poured out his love to me in the person of Jesus. And he has called me by his gospel to join his family. That's nothing I deserved. That's nothing I could earn. But I am to think now more seriously of who I am in light of that. And so now I understand that God has restored this image of God in me. That I have 
I have twisted, I have distorted, I have shattered like a broken mirror. I have um, uh, uh, limited in my uh, sin to fully display God and God has restored me in Christ who is the perfect image of God. And I am able now to display through the power of the Holy Spirit in me, to display what God has always intended I display, who he is to the world and show his power. And so what it all comes down to uh, here is this, that God has exchanged my little pitiful sacrifice, my living sacrifice, for the beauty of his will being displayed in my life. And I am identified with Christ. And now I serve. You notice the rest of, of Romans chapter 12 is serving the community of Christ and serving those who are enemies to the community of Christ. That there is a regard here. I have, I have been identified with Christ. And so my mind, let the mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, my mind is a mind of a servant for others. My disputes, my uh, difficulties, um, all those things that cripple really true spiritual change and growth in my life. That's now handed over to the Lord. And I serve him in gratitude and goodness. Why is this so important? Well, again, if God instills these principles that we're supposed to live, Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 show us then how these things are internalized and then flows out. Because it always has to begin here, doesn't it? These things aren't going to just happen. Something has to happen inside. And the Bible says that the gospel that did and now there is a continual renewal, and that continual renewal, by the way, it's the present tense here. It's not just a once and for all action here. It's a continual renewal, present tense, continuing here. There is a continual renewal here. This is the essence of discipleship, that I, my eyes are open to a great and broad panorama of understanding and spiritual power so that I can go on the offensive, so that my thoughts and my thinking, thy brain is captured by thoughts for the glory of Christ. This is the essence of what it means to follow Christ. Being committed to Christ. So Romans 12, 1 and 2. I plead with you by God's unfathomable mercies that He's shown to you that you display your body as a living sacrifice. Holy, set apart for God's service and his purposes, acceptable to God, which is the only rational, uh, rational worship you can do. And do not be shaped by this world, but be transformed, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind so that you prove that God's declared written in the word of God, will is good and it is acceptable and it is perfect. His design is good. Friends, that's how I am transformed. That's how you are transformed. And that will be how the world is transformed. So let me close with the process here of renewing the mind according to the Bible's pattern. First of all, when God converts us, 
God puts to death the old self in the mindset. He, he, he gives life to the spirit and newness of life. And that action in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we receive, that action makes it possible for us to prepare our minds to accept the ongoing discipleship and control of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, every thought must be taken captive in obedience to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says there's a cosmic war going on. And this war many times is right up here. And God says our thoughts need to be taken captive to the glory and obedience of Christ. Four that we looked at today. We must allow the Spirit to continually renew our thinking, our mindset here, and stand in that. Number five, because we have a new outlook, a, a new life, a, 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 a post-conversion state, so to speak here. The victory's been declared in Christ in our lives, and now we walk out of that victory. Because we have that, we need to discern and understand what the will of the Lord is. And I don't mean um, subjectively, I mean what his word says, the will of the Lord says. And then six, when our mind is under the control of Jesus Christ, that will cause us to be a living and a live demonstration to all that God's will is indeed and of truth, good and acceptable and perfect. And then seven. As a result of this, if you look in Romans chapter 12, you look in Philippians chapter 2, you look in the rest of Ephesians 4, is a church of Jesus Christ that is working in harmony because it is joined together to the same mind of Jesus Christ, unified in spirit, intent on purpose, so that as a, as a, as a fellowship of a, of a local church, it experiences power in prayer, it experiences power in mission, it experiences power in the word of God because their minds are controlled by Jesus and therefore they have a peace and a confidence that enables them to go ahead and move from having minds controlled by rebellion and disruption and disarray to minds controlled by the God of peace who is on a mission to extend and build his family. Spirit-controlled mind. The essence of spiritual growth. So let me encourage you. I've emailed you, if you're on our email list, and if you're not, uh, email us and we'll put you on it. I've emailed you some, uh, some Bible studies. I'll continue this thought here of renewing your mind, unleashing the Spirit in your life. I've given you some scripture passages, Ephesians, Galatians, uh, Romans here, again, and some others, Corinthians, uh, to, 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 to take, take, take a scripture passage uh, each day in your devotions or uh, study at night, maybe with your family, read through those scriptures, discuss. I've given you some discussion questions. And then out of that, put into a very simple format, what does it mean to have your mind renewed? What does it mean to put off and to put on? And what does it mean then uh, in practical terms for me? What are the areas in my thinking and the areas in my actions that need to change to be put into the conformity of the will of God through Jesus Christ? When we do those kinds of things uh, and we really take this seriously, we're renewing our mind and God promises that he's going to transform us as we take the action steps of putting off and putting on. God bless you and have a great week here, second week of May.